has, Lord. Help me to rely on your spirit for the words that come out of my mouth. Help me to rely on, on your wisdom and, and the scriptures themselves for, for uh, what we're going to talk about. Not my own uh, desire, not my own interest, not my own um, uh, inclination. Uh, I pray for, for your grace in this, for your grace for all of us this morning as we hear the word, as, as, as I unpack it, Lord God, that you would bring it to us and help us to know you more uh, through hearing it. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, the scripture verse on the screen is wrong. I do not know how I did that. Uh, it is not the right set of slides. That would be the problem. Uh, so let's back up and uh, grab up the right ones. I was thinking, man, how did I screw that up that bad? I, <laughs> um, so when I was uh, preparing this message, uh, I was looking – what? Oh, yeah, they are. I fixed it. There we go. Yeah, it is. It's See, there's the title. It's – uh, as I was preparing the message this week and I was, I was looking for um, a good illustration, I always start early in the week looking and I, I sometimes don't think one up until I'm walking up here. And uh, the one thing that I read um, that I went back and researched and found most fascinating was a description of Napoleon. Uh, Napoleon was, a, of course, the, I don't know, emperor, king of France? I don't know. He was a conqueror and kind of a, kind of a villain. Uh, he was married to a young lady named Josephine. Uh, no relation. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Napoleon, like he conquered the world basically at one point and then uh, w- was defeated and shipped off to Elba, which is an island where he was exiled. And eventually he managed to come back. And when he came back, uh, one historian said that he forgot nothing and he learned nothing. And, and that was exactly how he approached the world. He attempted to conquer the world again, and a second time around, it did not work out. Uh, and, of course, the, the famous um, Battle of Waterloo, uh, uh, which I think he uh, heard about from San Dimas, California. Um, but he, uh, he forgot nothing, and he learned nothing. Um, and as we look at Jacob, this is a phrase I saw applied to him and about nails it down. So Jacob, uh, at this point in the text, is uh, about to is on the run, and uh, the series of events that are going to take place uh, are an amazing demonstration that that the dude learned absolutely nothing along the way, right? Like he he is is so astonishingly dense that that it's it's. Like it makes you drop your jaw once in a while. And a lot of commentators praise his wisdom and all this other stuff because they want to make him into a good guy. Like dude is just not nailing it down through, this, through his exile period. And so we're going to look at that today. Um, God's uh, sending him into exile. Uh, I actually have the wrong sermon again. You're right, Jess. I did pick the wrong one. Because uh, that's Jacob's ladder. Do I not have slides today? I did email them. They probably didn't get uh, downloaded. Let's see. Oh, my goodness. Terror. Um, 
I'm going to keep going here. So we're working on a series on sojourning right now. We're talking about this idea of sojourning. And the idea behind this is you, a sojourner is a person who lives somewhere that is not their home. And they live as a foreigner and they had limited rights. And it was not very comfortable or easy. Um, it might be the case you could be murdered as a sojourner for your spouse, which does happen in the Bible. And it is a point of fear for people like Abraham and Isaac. Uh, you could be taken advantage of, and there was very little legal recourse. You could um, have people apply local customs to you that you don't understand and never learned, and like, sorry, you know, so sad for you, you were stuck. Um, and so sojourners occupied this huge place in terms of the, uh, the early, you know, the early patriarchs of the, the Jewish faith, and eventually, like, that leads to them getting this home in Israel. And, like, so that traveling without a home thing is a major theme. And, like, actually, ultimately, we learn that this is about us, right? Like, it happens with the Israelites after they leave exile, or after they leave Egypt as well. They sojourn in the desert. And we as believers, we as believers who are in Christ, this world is not our home. We are sojourning here. Eventually, we will go to our home, which is in heaven, but this is not home. Um, and that is the big idea here. Um, the uh, title of the sermon is actually what um what you you know what god uses it for good um and the idea here is and actually this is joseph one of jacob's sons who says this what you intended for evil god used for good and what we're going to look at here is a series of evil actions on the part of everyone in the story for the next a couple messages everybody's doing the wrong thing um everybody is not learning from the past everybody is being stupid um, and ultimately, having not learned a doggone thing along the way, um, in a few weeks, we're going to see where Jacob comes to know God for real. And the world is going to change for him. But this series, the next few messages, are all going to be about Jacob sojourning and everybody being wicked. And it'll be fun. It's soap opera stuff. Really cool soap opera stuff. Not even exaggerating. Huge, ridiculous. I, I should wear telenovela outfits. Um, so Jacob, quick rundown on who the dude is. Um, Jacob has a huge lack of character, right? Like he is like the person God chose to carry on the promise, but Jacob is not an honest man. Jacob, uh, manipulates his name actually means heel, or I think it can also mean bent. The idea there is like liar, like Jacob's name means that he is a liar or a deceiver and he deceives people. He has no character. Um, in the early part of the story, when he talks about God, he refers to God as your God when talking to his father, meaning not my God. When he, like, but he's trying to steal the blessing that God had given to Isaac. So like, uh, and was supposed to give, you know, pass down through the lineage. He's trying to steal this blessing and he refers to God as not even his own God. Um, and so he tricks his father, who is blind. Um, and steals the birthright that should go to his older brother because older brothers always get the birthright and younger brothers don't, except in the Bible where the younger brother always gets it. And we talked about that last week. I may touch on it again later today. But, and he does it by approaching his father who is blind and thinks he's dying. He really just has a man cold. He lives 20 more years. He doesn't die. Um, but like, what, like I, that's, you think that was just our culture that made that up? Like man cold started way earlier it's in the bible um my microphone is and it's annoying me sorry um so he deceives his father who is blind 
by covering himself with goat fur, by smelling bad just like his brother, by doing all of these things to pretend to be his brother so he can trick his blind father into giving him the blessing. And so he gets this blessing and he runs for his life because his brother's going to kill him. And briefly, last week, he, he stays the night in Bethel. Uh, he named it Bethel ultimately, but he stays the night there and God um, gives him a vision and God speaks to him and promises him everything in the covenant promise that was given to Abraham, that was given to Isaac, that he stole. And basically, the thing that Jacob has to do is, I'll be your God, you be my people. That's Jacob's job, is to be God's people. And he doesn't do it. Like, you know, when he says your God, he means your God. At this point, he, like, he has his vision, he has, talks to God, and he says, all right, God, look, here's the deal. I will straight up be your people if, And he gives them a list of requirements. And basically it all boils down to when I get back from being in exile, if you bring me back and take care of me while I'm there, then you can be my God. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like you put all this effort in to steal this and you don't even want God. You wanted prosperity, which, I mean, Christians still today, like the prosperity gospel is a whole thing, right? Um, Very quick, I'm going to run through because I'm running a little behind today. Um, this story of the prodigal son, most of us know this one, the son who, uh, tells dad, I wish you were dead. Can I have my inheritance? And then he runs off to a foreign country and wastes it all and ends up destitute and feeding the pigs and comes home and the dad welcomes him back. Um, these two stories parallel. They just do. Um, they are very, very similar. And that's the way we have to, I, I'm going to suggest we look at Jacob over the course of the next few message. He takes his father's blessing in advance, when it's not his, he does basically the most offensive thing in the world that the prodigal son does, and Jacob did. He goes off to a far-off country, in this case to not get murdered, um, whereas the other son goes off to drink and carouse and everything else. Um, lots of sin happens while he's there, and we're going to see a ton of that in the coming weeks, telenovela series um, of sojourning sermons. Uh, and um, everybody was indifferent to what God wanted, but God uses the circumstances to his glory, and that's what's going to come up. And this is huge. God is going to use all of this sin and all of this brokenness and all of this rebellion to his own end, and it's huge. He's going to find himself at rock bottom when he goes home, and he's going to be welcomed back as family. And it is awesome. Like, these two stories run simultaneous. So, the three things that we're going to look at next three weeks... Jacob is going to fall in love and get married, and then he's going to get married again. Because as every husband jokes, there's the wife you marry and the wife you're married to. Wow. (laughs) That was rough. He's going to have 12 sons, and the story of the birthing of the sons is going to be a whole crazy, dysfunctional, nasty fight. It's insane, but it is it's it's nobody's doing the right thing. They're all trying to one up and get their own way. And finally, Jacob is going to get rich. Um, but the way he's going to do it is pretty underhanded and it's going to happen despite Jacob um, because God is in all of these stories. God is going to follow through all of them to achieve his goals. So we're going to be in Genesis 29. Um, wow, 10 minutes in, just getting to the text. Uh, but this is a fun text. There's a lot going on. I am super excited about the next few sermons because I am super excited about them. Uh, there's going to be a lot of fun stuff that takes place. So we're going to start out, uh, verses one through 12. This is Jacob 
traveling. He's got nothing, by the way. Jacob is alone. He is destitute. He has nothing, um, which I assume is, well, anyway, I'm not going to make that joke because it'll get me murdered. Uh, then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. He's in Babylon, by the way, which is a parallel to what we see happen to, to the Jews later, where they're in rebellion. They're still the children of the promise, but they don't care about God. And God sends them to Babylon where they suffer for a while and then come home as God's chosen children again. And so, like, this is pre, like, it's pointing forward to Israel and to us. Um, so he's in the land of the east. As he looks, he saw a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would unroll the stone from the mouth of the well and, the, and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we are from Haran, which is where he's heading, by the way. Um, he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. By the way, Laban, the son of Nahor. Nahor was um, Abraham's uh, father-in-law, I think. And so, like, he's looking for the family connection here, right? And they said, we know him. And he said to them, uh, is it well with him? Uh, they said, it is well, and see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And he said, behold, it is still high day. Uh, it is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. Um, while we still... While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep. By the way, this is important. So he saw Rachel, and he saw the sheep, the huge tracks of sheep. Uh, the sheep of Laban's mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. All right. So a bunch of stuff is happening here. And some of it is super easy to miss. Um, watch this. So first off, all these guys are hanging out. They're waiting. They have this huge stone. Um, the assumption is that the stone is so large, all of the guys would do it together, right? So like everybody would gather in as a group, they would lift up this stone to water the sheep, which is part of the reason they're waiting is because they needed the group to do it. And Jacob is there. He's asking around. And then he sees Rachel and he sees two things like the, the, the woman and the sheep. Right. So he sees wealth and he sees this hot lady. Uh, that's what he's on about. I'm going to tell you, this is me. Uh, he sees her. and He's like, wow, she is good looking and she's rich. And we're by a well. Now, why would that matter? Because Isaac, his father, the great love story that he grew up like hearing was about Isaac getting his bride from this part of the world when a servant went and found her by a well. And there's this whole story where he prays and he looks for God's guidance and God like directs him to the right 
person who is Rebecca, and they get married. And he's standing there. He's like, oh, my gosh, the stars are aligning. It's, you know, this beautiful woman who's rich. And we're by a well in the land where my father's wife came from. And, like, look, all of this is coming together. Um, And so, like, the reader at the time would have caught it. Jacob is almost certainly excited. That's why he's so excited that he kisses her and cries because he's like, I'm going to marry this woman who is so uh, wealthy and, you know, has huge flocks of sheep and everything else. Like, he is super excited. Now, he ignores the fact that the stories have a lot of parallels, but Isaac was rich, not Rachel. In this case, Jacob is basically broke. <laughs> and he wants to marry a rich girl. And he is not collecting, like, he's not a servant collecting her up to bring her back. Like, he's run away from home because he's in trouble. Like, this is not really a clean fit. It is a much shabbier fit. Why does that matter? Because everything that's about to happen is a much crummier version of the previous story. Like, where one is, um, I don't know, I don't know any romantic stories, sorry. Uh, one is, uh, 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 sense and Sensibilities, that's a love story, right? And the other is uh, Dirty Dancing, which is a horrible movie. Uh, nothing good happening. It is awful. So, um, then he does something kind of impressive. The group would gather up and move the stone, and suddenly, he probably cricked his back in the process, he moves the stone for her to show her that he's strong. And he takes care of all of this stuff because... He's trying to woo this woman. He kisses her, and he cries. Super drama. Really, right? Like, if I I didn't do that with Jess, like, I met her, and I didn't kiss her and cry immediately after showing off my muscles, like, that would have been a weird thing. Um, Though maybe it would have worked. Who knows? Um, Now, a couple of other notes. Rachel is a younger sibling, and so is Jacob, right? This is in contrast to his father's story. So they're both younger siblings. Um, that's going to come up in a minute, and it's important. Uh, second, this huge emotional reaction that he has is based on <sighs> Jacob's character is he sees something, and he says jackpot, right? Like, oh, look, I can get my, you know, I can get my father's wealth, like jackpot. Oh, look, you know, this woman who is attractive, and I can apparently marry her because I can have legal right to do so, jackpot. He is really in love with Rachel, but I think to some degree he's also really in love with money and so forth. Anyway, um, but there is a parallel here, and he's probably emotional because of that, because he sees this thing and thinks, oh, it's all going to work out. Now, uh, we're going to pick up in 13. Uh, As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Um, tell me, what shall, be your wa- what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and her name, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, It is better I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. So stay with me. So 
he's there for a month, and he gets to know these people, and he's like, like working, and Laban says, hey, want to stay? Like, I'll pay you. You can be an employee here. Stay on. Be one of my ranch hands. Do, is it sheep ranches? Probably. I don't know. Anyway, be my ranch hand. You can work here. And like, you know, what do you want me to pay you? And he says, well, I want your daughter, Rachel. Seven years. They come to the agreement. You know, I'll work seven years. He offers it. Doesn't haggle. Doesn't anything. Just says, I'll do this. Give me your daughter. And Laban says, now watch this. Jacob sees something he wants. He makes an offer. And then what Laban does is really tricky. He does not say yes. He doesn't say it's a deal. He doesn't spit in his hand and shake his hand. He doesn't do any of that. He says, yeah, it's probably better that she marries you than marries somebody else. Did he agree? No. He lies to Jacob because he knows what he's going to do. He's going to trick Jacob. And he is starting out approaching this man whose name is Liar, who got the birthright by tricking someone a blind man, mind you, we'll come to that again in a minute, looks at him and says, yeah, I got this guy's number. And so he, um, yeah, I guess it's better that she marries you than somebody else, doesn't answer him. And so then he goes and he works. And, like, he is so excited to do the work. By the way, there's a whole lot of cool double weight to this uh, that that uh, I would love to dig into, but I think it'll be a huge rabbit trail. Um, So Jacob served him for seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Um, I mentioned this one in Sunday school this morning. Do you ever, like, it's amazing how quickly time goes by uh, when and how easy work is when you're doing it for something you want. Like, he is after this woman, and it flies by. And I think one of the things that you could draw out of this, and I'm going to do this really quick, We as followers of Jesus, like, we have work that we need to do. We have service we need to do. We have efforts that we have to put in, and a lot of them are hard. And at the end of the day, like, there can be a joy in serving Christ that makes the days seem like they fly by. Um, But that takes, like, commitment. And it takes, what's the word? Love, right? Now, in this instance, Jacob has what I would call eros love from the Greek, And the love that we have for God is agape, which is selfless love, or ideally. Um, Jacob is still kind of thinking about himself. But he's also thinking about Rachel and himself, and that makes the time go by quick. Um, So, the days fly by and the day of their wedding comes. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her. Um, as for my, you know, for my time is completed. If you don't understand what that means, ask your parents later. Or read a different translation. I'm sorry. Are you in the KJV? Uh, I'm not jumping translations. Stop it. You're distracting me. Um, so may I go? For my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter... Leah, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Now, we're going to hit pause here. He's in love with Rachel, and he ends up marrying Leah. Now, the difference between them is described earlier. Leah has weak eyes, and Rachel is a beautiful form and, like, is hot, I guess, to quote the message. 
Um, that phrase, weak eyes, is like a favorite of people who have way too much time on their hands and want to argue about like biblical phrasing. Uh, there are a couple of possible meanings. Uh, her eyes may not have been the right color because at the time, like dark, very dark, like black, almost eyes were considered to be the prize. It could mean that she was very compassionate, which is maybe the biblical way of saying she had a nice personality. (laughs) But at the end of the day, the contrast is, but Rachel was hot, right? I don't mean to be, that's not like offensive, is it? I, Rachel is really good looking and Leah isn't. And I'm guessing that the pair of them have grown up aware. I am, I've never, I have a sister, but I'm a boy. I'm guessing that sisters have a certain kind of relationship and that that sort of rivalry exists, right? Um, but everybody is open about it. This is actually one of the only times in the scripture where there's a comment about the physical attractiveness or appearance of an individual woman in a story. And it's just to knock on Rachel not being good looking. <laughs> wow. So the daughter nobody wants to marry is slipped in under the cover of night. Now, after this feast, like, nobody drank water then. Water was kind of dangerous. You might drink tea, you might drink other things, but you drank a lot of wine. Why? Because, first off, you couldn't squish grapes and not have them ferment in the Middle East. That's just how it works. Nobody drank grape juice. It was impossible. Period. Second, the alcohol actually made you live a little longer because the alcohol killed stuff in the water. Um, It's likely the case that having had a huge party, Jacob was maybe a little less discerning. But also they waited for night. And having played Jacob for a fool, he switched. He promised him one thing and switched the other. Actually, he promised him the younger daughter and gave him the older daughter. Now, because it was dark... Jacob couldn't see which daughter it was, and he received the wrong one. You catch what's going on here? The same way he went into his father, whose eyes were dim, who couldn't see, and pretended he was the older son, and he basically gets paid for his lie. Right? He was going to get the birthright no matter what. He was. God was going to make sure he got it. He got it his way. And this is going to be a recurring theme here in the story of Jacob, I will get what I want and I will do it my way. Um, And here Laban does the same thing to him. And you would think that with a little introspection, Jacob would stop and say, hey, I did the same thing to my dad. Guess what? He remembers everything and learns nothing. So, which is what sin does to us. It hardens our heart. It's the same way that Pharaoh saw his country destroyed by the plagues, remembered everything, And learn nothing because he's like, yeah, we're still not giving in. Well, look, the whole land is ruined. You sure you don't want to give in yet? No, no, we'll we'll win in the end. Nope, you ain't learning, buddy. It's hard-heartedness. It's foolishness. And that's the problem that Jacob has. Jacob is sinful. And he's blind to his own character flaws. And so um, Laban gave his female servant. I'm sorry. uh, So Laban gathered together everyone. There's a feast. He took his daughter, Leah, and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. And Laban gave his female servant, Zilpha, uh, to his daughter, Leah, to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. 
And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? By the way, like you could lift that line out of the Isaac story. You straight up can. Like, like they, this is on purpose. Why? Because, because our sins always come back and bite us. That's all there is to it. If you sin and you think you're clever and you're going to get away with it, don't be fooled. It will come back and bite you. And that's what's happening here. His sin is coming back and biting him. And it's going to keep going. But for this particular instance, he is lied to. He is tricked. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it is not uh, so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Now, we have paused there real quick, and there is a significance to that. What's the significance? The significance is everywhere in the world, inheritance went to the firstborn, right? The firstborn always goes first. That is it. That's the joy of being the firstborn. You break your parents' will, they break the paddle on your backside, and then once you're past it, like you paid your dues, you get double share, you are the best, the inheritor, and everything else. In this case, it's the same thing. He said, listen, it was always the firstborn. It had to be the firstborn, and so that's the way it's going to be. Only Laban cheated Jacob instead of Jacob cheating Isaac by jumping in line. Complete the week of this one. And we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. So he says, listen, finish your marriage week and you can get married again next week to the other daughter. But she's going to you're going to work another seven years. You owe me because you're getting two daughters. He never promised her in the beginning. He lied. He tricked Jacob the way Jacob tricks else. And now it's going to cost him another seven years of labor Um, during which time he's not accumulating any wealth. He's going to remain poor. He's going to get nothing. Um, Now, here's where it gets really colorful and more telenovela. You can almost hear the music when he wakes up and sees Leah. Dun-dun-dun, you know. Um, Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Now, why does that line matter? He loved Rachel more than Leah because, 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 because um, this is what his dad did. His dad loved Esau more than he loved Isaac and Rachel loved Jacob. Uh, Rachel loved Jacob more than she loved Esau. They played favorites. And what did it turn into? Headache. Because if you treat your kids unevenly, it's really dysfunctional. And it's going to be dysfunctional going forward. Jacob knew but didn't care. He loved Leah first. He married her. All of this stuff, it's all wonderful you know, for him, like what he was trying to do. Now he's got multiple wives, and he loves one more than the other. He loves the more attractive one more than the other. Um, And this is going to go badly. And we're going to touch on that next week. That'll be next week's message, family infighting. But Jacob marries the wrong one. Um, This way Laban wins, by the way, because he gets 14 years of labor, and he basically pawned off both both his daughters, which were considered to be like you you married off daughters. That's what they were good for. They couldn't drive combines, unlike today. Um, So a quick note on polygamy in the Bible. Uh, 
there is legal allowance for polygamy, but if you trace through, there is no instance of a man having multiple wives that does not turn into problems. Every instance of it in the Old Testament goes badly um, because it is not how God designed us. The instances where you are allowed to have multiple wives, according to God, according to God's law, is when your brother dies and leaves a widow and no children. You would marry the widow. Why is that? Because there's no one to take care of the widow and she could end up destitute. So you marry her and take care of her and make sure that she has sons to honor your brother and to continue his line. It is, it's like, it's a little like welfare back in the day. Only it's one where the family does it, not the government, right? So you would marry so that this person didn't end up homeless. Um, That is the only time it's allowed. Um, Otherwise, throughout, like when you finally get to the New Testament, nobody had multiple wives except for for this reason. By the way, husband of but one wife refers to this practice. It's a man should not be in leadership in a church if he's got all of these personal responsibilities because it will distract him from taking care of the people that are his first job to take care of. Your first job, men, is your family, right? God gave them to you. You take care of them. That's your first job. And so that's kind of the big idea there. I know it's a big sidetrack, but I want to say polygamy, not normative in the scriptures, does not work. Um, And it just leads to problem. So Jacob has followed in his father's footsteps by showing this favoritism in the household, and it's going to turn into more problems. Um, And so Jacob is... Um, getting paid off here for his error. Now, what are the big ideas? What the heck do we do with all of this? First off, um, God isn't mentioned. Did you notice that? God never comes up. And in his time of difficulty, how many times did Jacob turn around and say, hey, God, you said you would be with me while I was here. You said you were going with me. You would watch over me. How many times did he call out for him? Zero. You know why? Jacob is not really a follower of God. Jacob is a... He's, he's, for all intents and purposes, a pagan. And he's living amongst pagans. And he's going to marry a pagan and all of this other stuff. Like, they don't care. They don't care about God. And while these people don't care about God, what is God doing? He is there. He is watching. But the other thing is, as they're sinning, he is going to take their wicked actions and use them to his glory. Well, how on earth would he do that? Having two wives and these two servants... Ultimately, through the next set of actual sinful behaviors, is going to result in 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the beginning, this marriage that is all screwed up and dysfunctional and crazy, is the beginning of the promise that would lead to more stars in the sky and grains of sand on the beach. This is God fulfilling his plan through wicked people who are doing wicked things. And so it is in our lives sometimes. I may screw up if God is my God, if I belong to Jesus, if I am in Christ, he can and will use that to his glory. Sometimes he uses it to break us. That's what happens with the prodigal son, right? He runs off and he ends up hopeless and destitute and has to go home and repent. And that's what we hope for all prodigals, is that God would use it. But you cannot, cannot, cannot outrun God's presence and his watch and his providence. You can't do it. And so for, in this instance, God is setting up everything. He is keeping his promise, but he's keeping his promise quietly. And Jacob doesn't know that. He doesn't see it. Why doesn't he see it? Because he's not looking. He doesn't care. And a lot of times that's the case for us. God acts in our lives and we don't see it because 
We just ain't looking and we ain't asking. All the way, blindly, this guy stumbles through every good instance, incident. Um, in the series of events, he, God, what he's going to do is he's going to provide opportunities for Jacob to reflect on the events, to learn something. He won't, but like he's providing him opportunities to learn and grow. And some of us have, have you all ever had that? Where you make a huge mistake in life and God like, like puts a situation there where you can hit the brakes and learn something and like you're just dumb as a sack of hammers and you keep going until you've really messed up? Just me? Okay. Uh, but God will do that. And why? Because God will teach us, and if we refuse to learn, he'll keep teaching us because he loves us. Sometimes, what is it that Paul says? God disciplines those he loves. Because like a father disciplines his son because he loves him, right? And so like sometimes difficulty follows us because he is teaching, he is teaching, he is teaching. And if we don't stop and ask and we don't stop and pray and we don't stop and look to him, we get lost. Um, God allows circumstances to happen that will result in the birth of Israel, but they don't know it. They're not looking. And finally, he ultimately is going to use Laban's deception and the jealousy of the sisters here and actually later, Jacob's dishonesty toward his father-in-law to fulfill his promise to Abraham. And so, like, I promised you this, and it's going to come to you, but it's going to come to you the craziest, most sideways, backward way, and nobody would have expected it. But God's plans are bigger than ours, and his understanding is bigger than ours. And this exile and misery is going to change Jacob, but it's going to take a while. Finally, um, despite... Everyone's best efforts in the opposite direction. God continues to be faithful. You cannot outrun his grace. And this trio of events, like all of this bad behavior, um, like it's all going to lead. That was a repeat. I'm sorry. What does it have to do with us? For me, I'm in Christ and I'm going to sin. Like I don't want to sin. I don't desire to sin. It's going to happen. Why? Because I've got flesh. Because I am a sinful man, redeemed and slowly becoming like Christ. As I walk in this world as a sojourner, I'm going to mess up, and I'm going to not understand things, and God is going to teach me as I go. Jacob ultimately demonstrates God's providence and how he teaches us. But in all of it, I can come back and say, by the grace of Christ, I'm forgiven. I cannot outrun his grace. I cannot outrun his forgiveness. I can leave Christ, and that's a problem, but I cannot get to a point. And when I hurt, when I'm lost, when I'm miserable, I can stop and say, maybe I should figure out how to consider this pure joy because I can trust that if God can work with these sinful people, he can work with me, a different sinner. Um, there is so much reassurance. We're going to be doing communion this morning. I'm going to call my guys forward, and I'm going to talk for a minute about how this relates. When we take communion, we are participating in a, a practice, in a rite, in a sacrament, in a, like a holy act that reminds us, that brings us back to this place, that when, like, despite the fact that we're all sinners, Christ died for us, despite the fact that we rebel, despite the fact that we um, fail over and over again to live up to his glory, Christ died for us. And just like Jacob, when we were in our sins, dead in our sins, Christ died for us. And so 